Okay, first thing is, I think Randy did already go over there. Yeah, all the, all the rock climbers, if you guys, any of you guys are still in here, school-age kids, uh, there's a class upstairs, and so you can be dismissed. I think most of them already left. Good. Okay. Hey, we're, uh, you're joining us today, and we're in the middle of a, a sermon series, if you will, of uh, going through the book of First John. So First John, it's a letter, right? We, we're the ones that put the chapters, verses in there. Uh, a letter from John, the apostle, to believers in the first century. So we've been going through that, and then the Holy Spirit's taken us on some field trips. And so today is a, a little bit of another field trip, although it is based in, in 1 John. So grab your Bibles, and if you don't have one, and you have superhuman vision, you can use the one in the seat pocket as really tiny print on there. So that might, if you have that. Um, we're gonna, I want you to see this for, for yourself, so you don't just take my word for it. And we will, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Okay. So verse 9, let, let me start there as you're turning. And we, we covered this a little bit last week, but it really, this is where the Holy Spirit really caused me to pause and ask these questions. If, if you're... If you're my age or older, you guys remember a, a sitcom, right? Which stands for what? That would plan situational comedy. These, these were shows, often a half hour, uh, maybe an hour, depending on the show. And miraculously, what would happen back in the 80s and 90s and before that is whatever it came about, whatever problem showed up, it magically was solved in 30 minutes or less, right? Or maybe an hour or less. And... And so now what we've done is, is we've gotten these shows because everything streams, so they, they bulk load an entire season, an entire story with tons of situations, so one episode builds on another. You know, before it was like one could be completely, episode could be completely detached to the other. As a matter of fact, sometimes the actors changed, but the characters didn't, and it really threw you off. So we've done that in church a little bit. It's like, Pastor, give me everything I need in 30 minutes or less. And the problem with that is we are trying, my job here, my Jordan, my daughter and I were joking about this. She said, people were talking about their dad's jobs, you know, at school. She goes, I'd have to tell them, my dad's job is to teach one book, like for the rest of his life, right? That's my job. <laughs> now, it sounds lame. However, it's the most challenging thing because this is like an unsearchable book, who the Holy Spirit is the author and translator and study partner to you. So once you get in there, you can study the same verse for 50 years and get five different God-given conclusions, right? So for me to package that with a little bow in 30 minutes, I'm lying to you if you think I can do that. So this is why we're going on these Holy Spirit detours, if you will. It's like part one, to be continued, could be part two, three. So last week, I tripped over something, and I'm going to show you what that is and talk to you about that today. Verse 9 says this, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his 
son. Okay. So really what this is saying is like, you guys will believe what people tell you. Okay? You'll believe people will tell you. Even your man-made wisdom, it says before this, that if two or three people are telling you the same thing, you begin to think this must be a fact. Right? If we'll believe that, then how much more should you and I believe what God says is true? Make sense? And then John, in a not-so-gentle way, is trying to remind complacent early believers which are no different than complacent 21st century believers, like, you can't have it both ways. So if you don't believe what God is saying about Jesus, then you're calling him a liar. Well, no, no, I'm not. Yes, you are, right? This is what John is trying to hit home to the early believers because we can drift and float into all sorts of illogical and impossible conclusions about God. It can't be both ways, right? Jesus is not a good man, or the Son of God. He's either a son of, the Son of God or a crazy man that should be avoided at all costs. Those are the only two choices, right? So it's the same with this. Either God is telling the truth or you're calling him a liar. So here's where, here's where I tripped. Verse 11. And this is the testimony. So here's what God says is true. This, this is the testimony that God gave us, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Well, Rick, you might be like, Will, why are you why are you tripping on this? Right? Well, the reason why is the, the wording here, it says, God gave us. God gave us. Now, if this was written in the first hundred years after Christ's death, right? Then God had already given people eternal life then. So how much more, 2,000 years later, is, is eternal life available? But eternal life is not after you die, but it begins now in the, in the one who believes. And so that's probably not new news to you, and I probably won't tell you anything new today. But I'm a reminder. That's my job. I'm annoying. Yes, I keep poking at your forehead, trying to remind you of these things in the most loving way. Okay, but God gave us eternal life. Life, and this life is in his son. Who, who wants eternal life? Me? Zoe, you want it? Yeah, totally, totally. Eternal life? Eter- like life forever? That's good, that'd be good, huh? Yeah, or like, do you like, what's, what do you enjoy in life? Do you love ice cream? Oh, nice. What's better, ice cream or chips and, and salsa? Ooh, both, right? Both? Nice, pound that. I'm with you. Okay, that's living, right? Salt and sweet. Ice cream and then chips and salsa to take down the sweet after you're done, right? Okay, so we are all for eternal life. And so what God said here, what John testified to after walking with Christ in person and then in spirit, is that life, eternal life is in Jesus. And that God gave us that eternal life now. That even John at this time, who still had breath, had eternal life. Okay, so there's a fact for you. I I believe, and where this is coming from, guys, is I believe we've learned so many things wrong. We almost have to get like the men in black mind eraser to erase us and start again because we're just building on the foundation of what some other man told us, not what the scripture says. 
And so we live in a church culture and a society where people that don't understand the Bible are leading other people who don't understand the Bible about the Bible and using it for marketing and their tools. And we can be very successful doing that. We can build churches doing that. We can build cultures and companies and nonprofits. But let's go back to what the scripture says. God gave us eternal life. And that life is in his son. Life is in his son. Okay, definition. Sometimes I think we have the wrong definition. Is this a small print for you to see? Um, this is going to be on YouTube. So if you want to pull that back up or, or take a photo of it. So in, in the New Testament, what language was that translated from? For the, the most recent language it was translated from? Greek, right? So what I'm giving you here is some Greek words. Now, when you look at Greek words, uh, there, there's two words um, that, that, can, that you'll see most of the time if you look in your English Bible and you see the word life. It's coming from one of these words. Okay, why show that to me, Will? Great question. I'm glad that I asked it. Um, the reason why is because I think the, the faith that a lot of us were given was what God was giving us is eternal life like living forces, right? And that word is actually, we would say it bios, I think they say it bios, bios is the, is the Greek word for it, and, and properly what this means is actually the biological life, it's where we get biology, so it's like you're still breathing, your heart is beating, you're living, and so we begin to say, okay, what Jesus is giving me is eternal bios, like my heart will stop, and then I'll get a new body, and it'll start again, right? That's, that's almost what we're looking at. And if that's how you're basing your faith, then you're basically just trying to wait out this body dying so you can really be alive, right? Like, it sucks now. Everything is bad now. It hurts now. This is not life now. Life comes later. Anyone got that message or struggle with that a little bit? And some people live that way. Some people are like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not great now. But for the hope of eternal glory with God. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. But Jesus wasn't using, you know, words that were translated into Greek, which was translated into English, right? That he didn't use bios, right? He used he used. Like Zoe, Zoe, right? Zoe. I go my new friend Zoe, which means life. This is physical and spiritual. This is life like God. This is it. This is like really living. That's what Jesus came to give. Not just, not just a new body for your soul or spirit or whatever to transfer into after you die. Beyond that, above that, it's like all life. It comes from, it's sustained from God. It's like all-sufficient. It's complete. It's gifts. It's creative, right? It's joy. It's sadness. It's like a fullness. That's, that's Zoe, right? That's that type of life. So in 1 John chapter 5, when he keeps talking about life, he's talking about that. That same word was also used in a very common scripture used by Christian teachers and bookmark makers and everything, and the local authors that you like to read. And that is John 10.10. So this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, hey, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life, Zoe type of life, and have it abundantly. 
And I, I don't think we can rush past that. I mean, it's true. Jesus said it. It's either true or he's a liar. You have to decide, right? And if it's true, um, then what we have to believe is that Jesus is the one that brings this Zoe, right? This abundant life. Hmm. Who thinks that's not important? This time through 1 John, I'll tell you something that, that sort of blown my mind that the Holy Spirit has done, if I'm just speaking from my heart to your heart, was this, that God is so good. See, Christians, we aren't always so good. We can get on a high horse, and we can begin to say, like, tough, suck it up, right? We can say, this is physical, it's the world, you're too much in the world, Right? Oh, you care about physical things. You're too focused on this life. You're too worried about things that are ultimately just going to burn anyway. Right? And is all of that true? Yes. Is all of that helpful? Not always. Okay? The problem with that, guys, is that if we watch the life of Jesus, what he did is weird things like you're looking at the wrong thing, you're thinking the wrong thing, but he didn't say it that way. What he did is he like cried with two sisters whose brother died that he was about to resurrect. He cried with them. He didn't say, suck it up. I'm going to raise him from the dead. You're in my way, right? He didn't say that. When, when his followers, his disciples, his apprentices got hungry and the people got hungry, he didn't say, you'll, you'll eat later. Suck it up. He made some loaves and some fish, right? expound and, and feed everyone and then have leftovers. And when the, the ocean was, a storm was coming and the boat was swaying, he didn't tell his followers, tough, you're going to be fine. He quieted the storm. God meets us where our humanity's at, which is the whole reason, like when Jesus left, we can't forget this basic principle. Jesus left this earth where he could physically come and heal people, feed them, teach them, and walk with them. He left it because it would be better if he left it. And, and, you know, I think one of the reasons why I'm using my own mind is I can imagine, like, in our area, did you guys encounter, like, 75 churches just driving here today? Okay, which one would Jesus visit today if he was here? Well, he wish it, right? He wish he could, but in his physical form, right? He, you know, we'd all get like a minute with him, and we'd be waiting all day for him to show up and tell you one thing, right? Like a fortune cookie saying, "Can you give us a fortune cookie saying, Jesus?" And then we'll drive you really quick in some sort of cross-shaped Tesla around, and then we'll drop you off, and or we'll telecast you into every church, right? It just wouldn't work. So he said, "What's better is that the whole spirit of God would live in people." imperfect, messed up, unfinished people, and that they would continue the work that I did, and it would be greater and wider, not because they're more powerful, but because they can reach places I can't. And so that's why it's so important. That's why we're failing, because Jesus said, if you want people to know me, they've got to see you in me. If they were supposed to see you and me, they better see that you love them because I can't bring the love to them unless someone brings it for me. I can't bring the truth to them unless someone brings the truth for me. I can't help them 
why Jesus says things like, they're like, Lord, when did we feed you? When you fed someone else on my behalf. When do we clothe you? Well, when you clothe someone else on my behalf. Jesus was expecting us to take up the ministry that he left and to live this life. So here's where we've gone wrong. This is my observation. Um, Most of us are like half alive and half dead. I've watched a few zombie movies, you know, they're like half alive, half dead. What's interesting is um, their marketing campaign is never like, this is a great way to live, right? They're like biting people and, you know, and, and so, or some kind of disease gets them, right? And although that's fictional, we're actually living that out. We are kind of zombies, a whole world half dead with a cell phone in our face. And then some of us have Christian flavored culture, Right? and we only watch certain things and listen to certain music, but when we do it, we're still dead. We're not like abundantly living, and then we go to other people and say, join our club, it's fun. Not really. Anyone else see that? So, it's convicting to me because I think, is my life saying that you're a liar, God? Because I'm not really alive. Am I with my life saying that I trust you, that my confidence is in you, and that you bring life? Okay, another question. I want to be a guy who asks more questions. I don't know about you. So you got to ask yourself this. Let me challenge you. Ask yourself this. Would I say that my life is abundant? And by that, I'll use some more words in here because I don't know the perfect word for it. Like That it's more excellent, that it's fuller, richer, more complete, that it's joyful, that it has a weight and significance or an importance to it. Would you say that about your life? It's that idea of, of more, more. Like my life has more, more. Okay, let me put the, safe, the, the brake safety on this, like the emergency brake here. Okay, I'm not saying that you've got to get lots of things and always be really happy, and that to be joyful means you have the absence of every conflict. That is not the way that this works. That is not what Jesus is saying. But a Christian, someone with an abundant life, their life overcomes the bad stuff that happens to them, and in spite of that, it's still full. So is that you? Is that me? Maybe I should just stop there, right? Because like, that's something to think about. That's something to pray about. That's something to, what the scripture would say, meditate on, like deeply concentrate, focus, think about. Well, I don't know, Will, you're getting kind of close to just saying I should feel good all the time. That is not what I am saying. Some of the most holy things that I've witnessed in my life was like someone dying and being born. It's like where heaven meets earth, Right? And it's not always pleasant. It's not always like happy. It's not, it's not light, that's for sure. But there's a fullness to it, you know? There's a fullness to it. Like that's the glimpse, I think, of what Jesus is saying in this life, that 
it's more, but I, I, I believe that we as a people, those who want to follow Christ, have to consider this. Consider the words that he said and give them the appropriate weight. Because I imagine, guys, I, I imagine, I'm, I'm the pastor, right? So everyone's like, well, you want so many people in the church, so it makes you feel good, it feeds your ego, right? And then there's enough money to do cool missions or whatever. Yeah, I, I, just, want, I just want to really follow God. Like, I want that kind of life, and I don't know if I have it all the way, you know? I don't know if I, if I stay in that reality enough. Does that make sense? Okay, so, another question. If, if it's not, if, if that's not characterizing my life, if that's not what I... The, my experience of following Christ is, then why isn't it? Why isn't it? What do you guys think? I wrote down some ideas. What do you think? Why isn't it? Why, why aren't you experiencing abundant life? What is it? Distractions? Yeah. We're not looking for it. What is it? Pride. We're depending on ourselves instead of the spirit. The flesh. Man, you guys would all get those little Bible stickers if I had them, you know, for doing such a good job. We've been taught just to, to think this is just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys are teaching me. I don't even need to teach you. But I just wrote down some ideas here, right? Okay, just some thoughts, right? Ultimately, what ends up happening is three categories. My life is this way because of God, me, or somebody else, right? So what's going, something's wrong here. Is it you, God, my understanding of you? Is it me? Is it someone else, right? So it looks like this. Did I mess up? Something. I, gosh, Steve, I'm doing something wrong, right? Um, does that draw you near God or away? Away, right? Uh, you can ask that question. Does God not really do that? I think the danger, if you're somebody who was born in the nursery like me and went to church, is you've just assumed God. And so you've had, you know, God has been like this part of your life, but not your driving force in life. So he becomes minimized and joins you on your journeys. And if you live in the reality that eternal life is for the future, then all life right now is up to you. And if you don't make the distant God angry, then you get to go be with him someday. Then you'll have his life. Do you see that? So if God is distant, and if, he, and if eternal life is after I die, then he's made no provision for my life here on earth, other than not to starve to death, right? And so my life with him, I can't experience it now. So everything in life that I want to get, I got to get for myself. And this is American Christianity. Jesus and, it might be said. So, you know, and that leads to this question. Well, isn't, like, no one can make you happy. It's up to, it's up to you, right? Or, uh, you know, the sayings like, oh, God helps those who help themselves. These types of unbiblical, incorrect sayings. Like, well, isn't making life up to me? So who I marry, what I do for a job, whether I get married or not, what my hobbies are, what I care about. Isn't, don't I have some of this freedom of choice? And can't God come in as like a visitor to that and hopefully bless my choices? 
This is not how this works. And is God upset with me? And then you get on to that thing, like, okay, maybe the Bible really isn't true. Maybe the church and the pastors are lying to me. And so I'm going to go chase life somewhere else. Or this. Is this life being stolen from me by someone or something else? So you begin to hate. You get a divorce, and it turns out it wasn't your spouse's fault that your life sucked. Maybe once my kids grow, that's hard raising them. Maybe it'll be easier. No, it won't. Now you'll just go to the doctor every week. It'll be fun, right? Or, yeah, right, if I finish college, it's going to be easier. No, then you're going to work. Or if I, right, if I uh, retire, it's going to be easier. And then you and your wife are, like, stuck in the house together for the first time in a 40-year marriage saying, whoa, this is hard, right? Nothing is easier by by your own effort, right? Or then you get kind of spiritual. It's Satan. It's Satan and the demons, and so you spend all your time fighting them, and in fighting for life, you miss it as it flows by you. And then you start doubting yourself. Am I not in Jesus? Am I not saved? Like, what does that even mean to be in Jesus? Like, what does it mean? Like, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I got the wrong sinner's prayer or something, right? Maybe, you know, I couldn't find it in my Bible, but Billy gave it to me, and I thought it was the right one. And I I went to VBS and youth camp, and I rededicated my life 37 times, but I'm still this zombie walking through life. Or then you get, like, suck it up. Like, I'm just being a whiner. I'm being ungrateful. Just complaining. You know, at different times, a lot of those things could kind of be true. Like, according to the scripture, I think we are ungrateful and hard to please. And some of us are more negative than others, but a lot of us will focus on the negative and miss the blessings right in front of us. Um, At times, if you're just chasing, like, sin, then the Holy Spirit is so great to never, never leave you, but just wait there patiently for you to play your silly game till you get tired of it. So those things could make it God seem distant and quiet even though he's not, sure. But it really goes back to this. That's what I'm asking. I'm like, Lord, what it, how can I help? Because I can't tackle this problem in one sermon, but I can raise the question. So back to the purpose for life. I mean, what was the purpose of life? And in Isaiah 43, let me give you some scriptures. Isaiah 43, this is the words of God spoken to the prophet Isaiah, right? Um, he said this. This is in the New Living Translation. I like the way it says it. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. You think about that much? Like, we were made for God's glory. And then Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And that's not like a death thing, guys. That is like a living thing. Like, I used to be all about this, but God said, put it down. I put it down. And then he gave me a whole new thing to be about. And then Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, ultimately, it is true. The point of your life is to get your way back to God. You were created in Genesis in his image, to be with him, to be in community with him and other people with him. And anything short of that is just not enough. 
It's just not enough. There's nothing this world can offer you that will make it enough. I get that, okay? I'm not promising you it will. And then you're also made for things like, you know, because of the curse, you have to work. Right? There's lots of things that it says, you know, the being fruitful and multiplying. So we have these urges and desires we have to try to live out in a holy way where we pair up. We make families which populate the world. And if we tell them about God, it populates the world with people who love and fear and trust God. And then we have to work. We have to work the land, feed, and protect ourselves from the elements in a world that's dying. Like, we have purpose. We have leadership. So we don't just sit here in an escape pod waiting for God to pick us up. There's things we're doing. (coughs) So how do we get back to God and where we belonged? Well, I mean, ultimately, the fullness comes when we're face-to-face with Him. The fullness comes then, but until then, until then, God gave gave us His Spirit to live in us. And what God is testifying to is the fact that really living is actually doing things Jesus' way. With him and in him. And, and we've lost this somewhere, and I think it's cultural. You heard this one here. Let me throw up another Bible verse up here for you. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. It's beautiful. Come to me, this Jesus is saying this, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let, let's pause there a second. Anyone not love that? Is there anyone who's like, no, thanks, I'm good? Right? Like, the invitation is to come. Now, to him, to, because, right, it's not easy. It's not going perfectly, and it's not easy. And if we come to him, he says he'll give us rest. But then there's this next part that's really weird. It's like, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, what's that about? Well, in, in a literal way, what's a yoke, Rick? What's a, what's a yoke? Yeah, right? It's, it's like it goes on the beast. It, one ox was, was powerful, but if you could get two going together, you had more power. And so they would use a device to say they're going to share the work and get more done. So it was this yoke. So at Jesus' time, you know, being in a more agrarian society, they're growing, they're farming, They got the metaphor. So they had this, right? Their school, it wasn't about being the valedictorian. It wasn't about being an engineer. They didn't have the NFL and the NBA. So the best thing a lot of the Jewish boys could do was to become a rabbi. Like, right, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who were the smartest were smartest about the law and the prophets. You see that? So if you go into that culture, and and what Jesus came to be, even though he wasn't a king... (coughs) He was seen to be as a rabbi, a teacher. And these rabbis who had achieved status in the society would find students, would find apprentices, would find followers. And so a young man who was invited to apprentice after a rabbi was pumped because he's now gone to the whole next level, right? And so we forget that because these rabbis had what they would call a yoke. And what it was, was this idea based on my understanding of the scripture and God in the Mosaic law, over time, I've formulated a way to make this life its best. This is how I carry out this life. 
in light of God and my responsibility. This is, what I, this is how I walk, how I eat, how I talk, how I believe what's true. This is how you do marriage. This is how you do parenting. This is how you do work. This is how you do slavery. You get this? You see this? And so you were invited to be a copier of them, to be an apprentice, to learn from them and walk from them for a while. So when these men were, when Jesus was saying, hey, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted on the fact that just simply believing these things in your head about God, it's not working, and you might be either as miserable or more miserable than the people who denounce God altogether? And everyone's like, I'm exhausted. He says, then you've got to come to me and learn to live how I live. And I feel like we don't look at that enough, Elliot, you know? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Hey, if I could offer you someone in your life who was gentle and humble in heart, would you like that? It's really not a trick question. Would you like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just some kindness. I told Brandy this. I went and I went to the dentist and they were doing something on my tooth. And this young lady, so she was like, I'm going to massage your gums while it's getting numb. So she's like rubbing my face. And it kind of hit me actually how enjoyable that was just to have somebody give you that kind of kindness. I almost wanted to adopt her. Right? Like that is, oh man, we are starving for that. And Jesus is like, that's what I am? And when you follow me, I'm going to make you that way. I blow people away. I mean, that would, that would just disarm everything. I mean, so much, right? There's like, oh, so much in the world. Uh, many of you are, are super upset about, and I could agree, but like, if anger is our first thing, then, then wow, that's not from the Spirit, guys. Read Galatians. Stop listening to people and read the Scripture. Like, if anger is what's coming out of you, that's not the God in there, right? That's not God in there. Right? It's, yeah, the flesh, you want righteousness? I get that. You read about it. But Jesus said, follow me. Do what I do. And there's a time to be angry, and there's a time to fight, and there's a time to love, which can be angry and fight, and a time to be gentle, and a time to be meek and humble. But Jesus is saying to us, come follow me. Take on my yoke. Learn to live like I live. See, I think that's the missing piece. As I've been praying about this and meditating on this past couple weeks, I believe this is the missing piece. And it's not just me that believes this. 
I'm hearing this from other people, even 100 years ago, right? Certain people talking about this 30 years ago, realizing that this, like, if this is so hard, I've got no juice left to be loving. If this is so miserable, I've got no joy to share with the world. If this is unbearable, and I'm just living the way of the world and inviting God in a guest appearance, it just doesn't work. That we're reading the Bible in some ways all wrong. That somehow in reading the scriptures about our Savior who came, who came against religious, self-righteous people, somewhere along the way we misread it and we're trying to become self-righteous religious people. Probably ten times this week I looked at myself in the mirror and said, That sounded pretty pharisaical, what you just said. Right? Or, dang man, if you got no sin, then you should be the first one to throw the rock. Like, all the things that Jesus said. So, I don't know. Derek, I don't know. We might have to go back through a gospel, man. We might have to go back there and say, what was Jesus trying to show us to do? Because that's what we're missing. How are you in Christ? You're in him. Yet that's, that's the idea. The word here is possessing, holding on to. Like, I'm on his shirt tails. I'm asking him about everything. Like, Jesus, I know that you weren't a pastor in a church. I know you didn't have a smartphone. I know that you didn't have a wife and kids. I know that you, you know, didn't shop at the local grocery stores. I know that you didn't have to shop on Amazon. You didn't live in America. You didn't have all these things that, to deal with that I have. So what I need to know is what would you do if you were me? Right? And that's where the apprenticing comes in. That's where the yoke comes in. Like, how are you going to live this out? Because, guys, you can't just get on the lifeboat. That's not what this is. It's some lifeboat waiting for Jesus to come beam us up. This should be the place where we understand one another, where we're alive together, where we're encouraging and challenging one another so that we don't get off track. Like John said, you know, to be able to say, gee, Steve, Those two don't add up, bro. Like, those two don't add up what you're thinking, man. It doesn't add up. Let's let's work this out, right? To love one another, to celebrate, to be there in those holy moments when someone gets married or someone dies or someone's born or someone's baptized or someone brought chicken, you know? All those really holy moments, and you're excited to be there together. That's a lot of words really fast, huh? I get kind of excited. Man, I don't have it figured out. I'm probably the stupidest pastor you ever met, right? But hopefully I'm being honest. And hopefully my honesty will, will find like-minded folks who want to be honest and want to follow Jesus. So I really, I... I began with this question, what well, ended up in the middle once I gave you the background, but the question was like, is my life, does it look like a life that brings glory to God? If that's my purpose, if I'm supposed to bring glory to him and worship him, which is why I'm created, and then he takes care of the other things, then it's got to be a, a life of some weight. So I've been thinking about this in a practical way, something for you to kind of meditate on. Because the problem, the reason why your life might not feel abundant, even though I promise you it is, 
is because we're not really even following Christ in the way this was designed to be. We're not trying to live like he lived, see what he sees, and do what he does. Because for generations, we've lost this, and so there was no older guy or older woman who taught you. And in turn, you taught them. And so now we're in this weird predicament where you might be 30, and you might be the one teaching. You might be 17, and you might be teaching. You might be 77 and be teaching other people in this. But all of us become apprentices of Christ together. And then the next generation that comes up, sorry guys, we blew it, but maybe all of us do this together. And then like when you guys come up, you have men and women who are actually apprentices of Christ who are learning to live like him. So here's, here's some food for thought because I, I don't think I can leave this alone after this. Next week, something's going to happen. But something to think about this week because let me come back to the fact that, that Christ is very loving and personal. Now, he brought me, let's think of this in a selfish way, he brought me all of you, right? And he's commanded all of you to love me. Right? And then there's Leah. And he's brought Leah, all of us along her path. And those of us who stay over time, our command from God is, could you love her since I'm not there to do it? That's pretty sweet, right? That's how much he cares about our humanity, even though he knows it's temporary. That's how much, even though your feelings can lie to you, they do matter. And so the question becomes, if God has given me abundant life, I know it's not money and it's not things, but sometimes it's a thing that he gives you as a gift. Sometimes, right? Sometimes it's a sunset. What's your life all about? I'm all about dogs, right? Okay, then, wow, when you see a dog, can you see the love of God in creation? Man, my kids, it's like my life. I know, right? Kids, the fact that they were even conceived is a miracle. Then the fact that they didn't die in like those nine to ten months, they were in the oven, okay? And then the fact that they've actually survived to the age they are, like we're talking miracle upon miracle upon miracle, where if we could begin to see that Jesus does care about the practical and he does give us these blessings and his love. And so as cliche as it sounds, like count your many blessings, Right? Name them one by one, right? That's what we used to sing. I think we've lost track of that. I have. I'm assuming you're no different than me. Like, to know that, wow, okay. God, otherwise what happens is like, okay, God loves me, sure. When I die and go to heaven. But I really need you to love me right now. I mean, that's the world, right? Man, God's not fun. I got to make it or... I'm not loved, so I've got to find a man to love me or a woman to love me. I don't feel loved, so I'm dependent on my kids to fill that for me. And then they grow up and suffer. I, I, I'm not loved, so I need my love for my work. I'm not loved, so I need to make art. And, you know, I'm not loved, so I need you to hear me play the bass and tell me I'm doing a good job. Right? That's not a hit on you guys. I'm just messing with you. Um, I'll hit on Evelyn, too. When I bake and you smile, it's like gives me life, right? So all those things might be what you're feeling. But if those aren't given the appropriation, right, the appropriate um, credit due, then they've become the ends instead of the means to the end. The end is God loves me. He really does. And now, and I'm alive, and I'm alive now. So my prayer for you would be this, that, that the Holy Spirit, okay, if you're not a Christian, then I'm sounding crazy, 
that's cool. We should talk. Like, you can come talk to me. We can talk about it. Also, see these lovely ladies in the back here? They'd be happy to pray with you and talk about that if you're not a Christian and you want to know what was this guy ranting about. If you are someone who's put their faith in Jesus, then I, I would suggest that you reevaluate this and, and make sure you're not missing out on eternal life now and that you're not missing out on the ways in which Jesus is bringing you life in him. And sure, as you follow him, and this is probably for another sermon, and as you begin to live more like him, you're gonna, your, your vision's going to change, your experience and your desires will change. Okay? But in the meantime, he loves you right where you're at. As a matter of fact, he loves you so much right where you're at, he never wants you to stay there forever. So sometime, maybe all you can take of God's love, all you could receive is like a sunrise if you're a morning person or, you know, a sunset if you're a night person or coffee at 6 a.m. if you're a morning person or a cup of coffee at 9 p.m. if you're a night person or at both if you're addicted, right? So, and whatever those things are, if we could begin, look, that even made you smile. If we did that more, like our God won, in the battle in the end, if we actually acted like we believed he's going to win? Right? Oh, but Will, I'm sick. Yeah, I know. You might die. Well, that's really... No, it'll be okay. <laughs> oh, man, but my relationships... Yeah, uh, well, maybe they'll get better. Maybe they won't, but God's going to win. But the polar, polar ice caps are melting. They're going to flood the world. No, it's going to be fire that's going to destroy. The Bible is pretty clear about that. When that fire is falling to earth, then you might want to like, be saying your prayers. If they say it's water, oh, well. Yeah, let them melt, right? So read the Bible, know God, encourage one another. And that way, that way when you come in and you're like, oh. Life is in Christ. Abundant life is in Christ. If you want more life, you get more in Christ. Awesome. Hey, worship team, why don't you guys come on up? I don't have a fancy signal for you to make it all seamless, so we're just going to look foolish in front of everyone. Let's just pray. So I'm, I'm going to try not to do a talk prayer, okay? You know, talk prayer where you just like, they redo your sermon in the prayer, and then you say amen at the end of it. Oh, yeah, I've done it. It's awful. But let's just ask God to give you what you can take right now. That he would give you what you could take that shows life and love that he has for you. And I'm just praying that he would light you up with him. And that I want more life than I want more him. There we go. Let's just pray. Lord. Wow, thank you for your living word. Because we could go over the same scripture like three weeks from now and you just tell us something new. Uh, the great mystery of everything revealed. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us what we could handle right now, what we could take. Not with shame and guilt, but that we would experience your love, that you would bring your love to us in a way that we can understand and that we can take and that receiving that love 
would just have us respond by drawing closer to you. So Lord, we, just, we, we ask you in this time just to speak to us. The Holy Spirit, you would be free to, to do what you do, Lord, that you would comfort and counsel and correct and seek and empower and just guide us that we could be followers of you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Creator, Master, Protector, our hope of eternal life now. I pray this in your name. Amen.